Chapter 7, Section 2 of The Promise of American Life by Herbert Crowley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by the Progressing America Project. Chapter 7, Section 2 Democracy and Discrimination. The principle of equal rights has always appealed to its more patriotic and sensible adherents as essentially an impartial rule of political action one that held a perfectly fair balance between the individual and society and between different and hostile individual and class interests but as a fundamental principle of democratic policy it is as ambiguous in this respect as it is in other respects in its traditional form and expression it has concealed an extremely partial interest under a formal proclamation of impartiality the political thinker who popularized it in this country was not concerned fundamentally with harmonizing the essential interest of the individual with the essential popular or social interest. Jefferson's political system was intended for the benefit only of a special class of individuals, viz., those average people who would not be helped by any really formative rule or method of discrimination. In practice it has proved to be inimical to individual liberty, efficiency, and distinction. An insistent demand for equality, even in the form of a demand for equal rights, inevitably has a negative and limiting effect upon the free and able exercise of individual opportunities. From the Jeffersonian point of view, democracy would incur a graver danger from a violation of equality than it would profit from a triumphant assertion of individual liberty. Every opportunity of the edifying exercise of power, on the part either of an individual, a group of individuals, or the state, is by its very nature also an opportunity for its evil exercise the political leader whose official power depends upon popular confidence may betray the trust the corporation employing thousands of men and supplying millions of people with some necessary service or commodity may reduce the cost of production only for his own profit the state may use its great authority chiefly for the benefit of special interests the advocate of equal rights is preoccupied by these opportunities for the abusive exercise of power because from his point of view rights exercised in the interest of inequality have ceased to be righteous he distrusts those forms of individual and associated activity which give any individual or association substantial advantages over their associates he becomes suspicious of any kind of individual and social distinction with the nature and effects of which he is not completely familiar. A democracy of equal rights may tend to encourage certain expressions of individual liberty, but they are few in number and limited in scope. It rejoices in the freedom of its citizens, provided this freedom receives certain ordinary expressions. It will follow a political leader, like Jefferson or Jackson, with a blind confidence of which a really free democracy would not be capable, because such leaders are, or claim to be in every respect, except their prominence, one of the people. Distinction of this kind does not separate a leader from the majority. It only ties them together more firmly. It is an acceptable assertion of individual liberty, because it is liberty converted by its exercise into a kind of equality. In the same way the American democracy most cordially admired for a long time men, who pursued more energetically and successfully than their fellows, ordinary business occupations, because they believed that such familiar expressions of individual liberty really tended toward social and industrial homogeneity. Herein they were mistaken, 
but the supposition was made in good faith and it constitutes the basis of the jeffersonian democrat's illusion in reference to his own interest in liberty he dislikes or ignores liberty only when it looks in the direction of moral and intellectual emancipation in so far as his influence has prevailed americans have been encouraged to think those thoughts and to perform those acts which everybody else is thinking and performing the effect of a belief in the principle of equal rights on freedom is however most clearly shown by its attitude towards democratic political organization and policy a people jealous of their rights are not sufficiently afraid of special individual efficiency and distinction to take very many precautions against it they greet it oftener with neglect than with positive coercion jeffersonian democracy is however very much afraid of any examples of associated efficiency equality of rights is most in danger of being violated when the exercise of rights is associated with power and any unusual amount of power is usually derived from the association of a number of individuals for a common purpose the most dangerous example of such association is not however a huge corporation or a labor union it is the state the state cannot be bound hand and foot by the law as can a corporation because it necessarily possesses some powers of legislation and the power to legislate inevitably escapes the limitation of the principle of equal rights the power to legislate implies the power to discriminate and the best way consequently for a good democracy of equal rights to avoid the danger of discrimination will be to organize the state so that its power for ill will be rigidly restricted the possible preferential inference on the part of a strong and efficient government must be checked by making the government feeble and devoid of independence the less independent and efficient the several departments of the government are permitted to become the less likely that the government as a whole will use its power for anything but a really popular purpose in the foregoing type of political organization which has been very favored by the american democracy the freedom of the official political leader is sacrificed for the benefit of the supposed freedom of that class of equalized individuals known as the people but by the people jefferson and his followers never meant all of the people or the people as a whole they have meant a sort of apotheosized majority the people in so far as they could be generalized and reduced to an average the interests of this class were conceived as inimical to any discrimination which tended to select peculiarly efficient individuals or those who were peculiarly capable of social service the system of equal rights particularly in its economic and political application has worked for the benefit of such a class but rather in its effect upon american intelligence and morals than in its effect upon american political and economic development the system that is has only partly served the purpose of its founder and its followers and it has failed because it did not bring with it any machinery adequate even to its own insipid and barren purposes even the meagre social interest which jefferson concealed under the cover of his demand for equal rights could not be promoted without some effective organ of social responsibility and the democrats of today are obliged as we have seen to invoke the action of the central government to destroy those economic discriminations which its former inaction had encouraged but even so the traditional democracy still retains its dislike of centralized and socialized responsibility it consents to use the machinery of the government only for a negative or destructive object 
such objects always must be the case as long as it remains true to its fundamental principle that principle defines the social interest merely in the terms of its indiscriminate individualism which is the one kind of individualism murderous to both the essential individual and the essential social interest the net result has been that wherever the attempt to discriminate in favor of the average or indiscriminate individual has succeeded it has succeeded at the expense of individual liberty efficiency and distinction but it has more often failed than succeeded whenever the exceptional individual has been given any genuine liberty he has inevitably conquered that is the whole meaning of the process of economic and social development traced in certain preceding chapters the strong and capable men not only conquer but they seek to perpetuate their conquests by occupying all the strategic points in the economic and political battlefield whereby they obtain certain more or less permanent advantages over their fellow democrats thus in so far as the equal rights are freely exercised they are bound to result in inequalities and these inequalities are bound to make for their own perpetuation and so to provoke still more discrimination wherever the principle has been allowed to mean what it seems to mean it has determined and encouraged its own violation the marriage which it is supposed to consecrate between liberty and equality gives birth to unnatural children whose nature it is to devour one or the other of their parents the only way in which the thoroughgoing adherent of the principle of equal rights can treat these tendencies to discrimination when they develop is rigidly to repress them and this tendency to repression is now beginning to take possession of those americans who represent the pure democratic tradition they propose to crush out the chief examples of effective individual and associated action which their system of democracy has encouraged to develop they propose frankly to destroy so far as possible the economic organization which has been built up under stress of competitive conditions and by assuming such an attitude they have fallen away even from the pretense of impartiality and have come out as frankly representative of a class interest but even to assert this class interest efficiently they have been obliged to abandon in fact if not in word their correlative principle of national irresponsibility whatever the national interest may be it is not to be asserted by the political practice of non-interference the hope of automatic democratic fulfillment must be abandoned the national government must stop in and discriminate but it must discriminate not on behalf of liberty and the special individual but on behalf of equality and the average man thus the jeffersonian principle of national irresponsibility can no longer be maintained by those democrats who sincerely believe that the inequalities of power generated in the american economic and political system are dangerous to the integrity of the democratic state to this extent really sincere followers of jefferson are obliged to admit the superior political wisdom of hamilton's principle of national responsibility and once they have made this admission they have implicitly abandoned their contention that the doctrine of equal rights is a sufficient principle of democratic political action they have implicitly accepted the idea that the public interest is to be asserted not merely by equalizing individual rights but by controlling individuals in the exercise of those rights the national public interest has to be affirmed by positive and aggressive fiction the nation has to have a will and a policy as well as the individual 
and this policy can no longer be confined to the merely negative task of keeping individual rights from becoming in any way privileged. The arduous and responsible political task which a nation in its collective capacity must seek to perform is that of selecting among the various prevailing ways of exercising individual rights, those which contribute to national perpetuity and integrity. Such selection implies interference with the natural course of popular notion, and that interference is always costly and may be harmful either to the individual or the social interest, must be frankly admitted. He would be a foolish Hamiltonian who would claim that a state, no matter how efficiently organized and ably managed, will not make serious and perhaps enduring mistakes. But he can answer that inaction and irresponsibility are more costly and dangerous than intelligent and responsible interference. The practice of non-interference is just as selective in its effects as the practice of state interference. It means merely that the nation is willing to accept the results of natural selection instead of preferring to substitute the results of artificial selection. In one way or another, a nation is bound to recognize the results of selection. The Hamiltonian principle of national responsibility recognizes the inevitability of selection, and since it is inevitable, it is not afraid to interfere on behalf of the selection of the really fittest. If a selective policy is pursued in good faith and with sufficient intelligence, the nation will at least be learning from its mistakes. It should find out gradually the kind and method of selection, which is most desirable, and how far selection by non-interference is to be preferred to active selection. As a matter of fact, the American democracy both in its central and its local governments has always practiced both methods of selection. The state governments have sedulously indulged in a kind of interference, conspicuous both for its activity and its inefficiency. The federal government, on the other hand, has been permitted to interfere very much less, but even during the palmiest days of national irresponsibility, it did not altogether escape active intervention. A protective tariff is, of course, a plain case of preferential class legislation, and so was the original Interstate Commerce Act. They were designed to substitute artificial preferences for those affected by unregulated individual action on the ground that the proposed modification of the natural course of trade would contribute to the general economic prosperity. No less preferential in purpose are the measures of reform recently enacted by the central government. The amended interstate commerce law largely increases the power of possible discrimination possessed by the Federal Commission. The Pure Food Bill forbids many practices which have arisen in connection with the manufacture of food products and discriminates against the perpetrators of such practices. Factory legislation or laws regulating the hours of labor have a similar meaning and justification. It is not too much to say that substantially all the industrial legislation, demanded by the people both here and abroad and passed in the popular interest, has been based essentially on class discrimination. The situation which these laws are supposed to meet is always the same. A certain number of individuals enjoy, in the beginning, equal opportunities to perform certain acts, and in the competition resulting therefrom, some of these individuals or associations obtain advantages over their competitors, or over their fellow citizens whom they employ or serve. Sometimes these advantages and the practices whereby they are obtained are profitable to a larger number of people than they injure. Sometimes the reverse is true. 
in either event the state is usually asked to interfere by the class whose economic position has been compromised it by no means follows that the state should acquiesce in this demand in many cases interference may be more costly than beneficial each case must be considered on its merits but whether in any particular case the state takes sides or remains impartial it most assuredly has a positive function to perform on the promises if it remains impartial it simply agrees to abide by the results of natural selection if it interferes it seeks to replace natural with artificial discrimination in both cases it authorizes discriminations which in their effect violate the doctrine of equal rights of course a reformer can always claim that any particular measure of reform promises merely to restore to the people a square deal but that is simply an easy and thoughtless way of concealing novel purposes under familiar formulas any genuine measure of economic or political reform will of course give certain individuals better opportunities than those they have been recently enjoying but it will reach this result only by depriving other individuals of advantages which they have earned impartiality is the duty of the judge rather than the statesman of the courts rather than the government the state which proposes to draw a ring around the conflicting interests of its citizens and interfere only on behalf of a fair fight will be obliged to interfere constantly and will never accomplish its purpose in economic warfare the fighting can never be fair for long and it is the business of the state to see that its own friends are victorious it holds if you please itself a hand in the game the several players are playing not merely with one another but with the political and social bank the security and perpetuity of the state and of the individual in so far as he is a social animal depend upon the victory of the national interest as represented both in the assurance of the national profit and in the domination of the nation's friends it is in the position of the bank of monte carlo which does not pretend to play fair but which frankly promulgates rules advantageous to itself considering the percentage in its favor and the length of its purse and it does not propose to take any unnecessary risks neither can a state democratic or otherwise which believes in its own purpose while preserving at times an appearance of impartiality so that its citizens may enjoy for a while a sense of the reality of their private game it must on the whole make the rules for its own interest it must help those men to win who are most capable of using their winnings for the benefit of society end of chapter 7 section 2